everybody. Welcome back to Crime Scene Queens. We are the show to listen to if you want to hear from us real experts in the field. I am Shelly, your courtroom cat. And I'm Laura, your resident field mouse and crime scene investigator. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with somebody that you might have seen if you're scrolling Instagram and you have any awareness of law enforcement or give a damn about it at all or crime scene. We have 10-8 memes here and we are super excited about that because I have been resharing his page for, I mean, I think it's like two or three years now, it seems Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I think that I actually started following him before he blew up as he did. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. And I have had the pleasure of being on his podcast. So Feel free to go visit that. What's the official? Is it just the 108 podcast? What's the actual name of yeah, it? Yeah, the actual name is the 108 podcast. <laughs> so I see I wasn't wrong. Even no, though. you're good. You're good. <laughs> I stumbled. Uh, so. so I have been a guest on his show on two episodes. So you can go find extra shenanigans there. One was like super appropriate and professional. Yes. And one was so... not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one episode was about the relationship between cops and CSI. And the other one was a mandatory alcohol level of like 1.5 to 2.0 or something like that. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. It was an episode called Drunk Cops and there was a whole bunch of other meme lords as a guest. So make sure you check that out. But he has a lot of really great episodes. My personal favorite is the episode with Lieutenant Dave Grossman. And if you don't know who that is, then you clearly didn't go to college to study anything that has to do with criminal justice. But Google Lieutenant Dave Grossman and then go listen to Mr. Tenney podcast on that interview. That's my favorite. So explain for our, for our listeners, what exactly is 10-8? What does it mean? Why did you name your podcast that? So 10-8 in most police circles means on duty, in service, something like that. I've learned through having the page open that not everywhere, but most places. And so... Years ago, before I even started the page, before anything, I always thought that 108 would be a cool name for something, whatever it would be, whatever my dog or cat. <laughs> yeah, something, you know, actually, originally, the first time I ever thought about using 108 as like a brand name was going to be a travel slash food blog. As oh. a matter of fact, I was working overnight and I was like, man, it'd be great to have like a like almost like a Zagat guide. For police play, you know, like the police would say, like, "Hey, this is a good place. This is not a good place. Don't go here." And it would be called the Ten Eight Food Guide or whatever. For cops, so anyway, or just for everyone. It would be for everyone, but it'd be written by cops, mm. so that, because cops know where you know good food, cheap food, not nice. shady. So it'd be good. And that was inspired. I went on vacation in Savannah, Georgia, and I was taken on a walking tour by a cop that worked the area, and he did just that. I was like, "Wow, we need this for every single tourist hotspot." Because, you know, before you know it, you're going to go to some either super expensive or kind of shady place. But anyway, so I was always making memes in the police academy, starting field training, and then just my police career. And one day I made a meme, sent it to the squad group chat, and um, it ended up getting shared by uh, some viral police accounts. And it actually got like thousands and thousands of uh, likes and shares and stuff. And I messaged the guy and said, hey, that I made that. And he goes, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <Right>. that's <it." laughs> so I was like, yeah. yeah. So cool like, story, bro. Need... Yeah. So I was like, I need my own branding because I don't think this will ever happen again. But in the event it does, I'd like to have some kind of credit for the the little bit of funny that I put out there. I want to know what this meme is when you're finished. Yeah, me too. I want to see that meme. We should post <laughs> okay. it to advertise. Yeah, what's the meme? I can. It's uh, my it's my first professional <laughs> meme, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> it's it's the the water boy. And it says, um, city cops are so mad because they got all this crime and they can't chase nothing. I've so seen that meme. Me. Yeah. That is- <laughs> so I yeah. made the page and before and you know I kept it open or whatever and I just started reposting memes that I had made previously just with now with 10, eight memes on it. And before you know it, um, I mean, it's been what we just started our fourth year being a page and, you know, 41,000 followers later, we're still still trucking. 41,000 followers later. 42,300. Hashtag goals. Seriously. (laughs) I know. Wow. I remember hitting 10,000 and that was like, all right, I don't need to do anything else. And, um, (laughs) Because back in back then, when I whenever I hit it, I don't even know when it was, but 
you had to hit 10,000 to get to be able to post links on your Instagram story. And that's all I wanted to do was just post I remember links. that. Yep. And that's when I hit 10,000, I was like, cool. That's that's all I knew about, right? And then it just kept going and I think I want to say we hit 20,000 not long after and then 30 and 40 have been a while just because the algorithm and shadow bans through all of 2020, you know, people yeah. not liking the police and everything kind of slowed everything down, but we're still trucking. And even though the algorithm pisses me off, we're still, we're still going. <laughs> All right. So follow him on Instagram, 10, eight underscore memes. Okay. So what year did you go to the police Academy? I went to the police Academy many, many moons ago in mm-hmm. 2014, I believe. 2000. How old are you? 32. I was going to say, I don't know if he wants to answer that. <laughs> That's fine. He's just a baby. <laughs> He's just a baby. Oh, I love that. So one of the reasons why I think I got kind of triggered in or not triggered in, but like pulled into your page or like you showed up in my algorithm. And at the time I only had a personal life page. So occasionally I would post about my job in CSI, but you weren't really allowed to do that. It was a lot of yoga like at the time, but I was clearly still liking I think back in the day, like Mike the Cop is kind of an OG, yeah, Officer Daniels, De- Deputy Hookham, Deputy Bookham. Like they were like the main pages. Those back are my boys. Then. They're amazing. And, but then I got fed you because I think you posted like a crime scene meme, like I was referring to earlier. And I was like, wait a minute. And then somehow we started a dialogue and you said that you were actually, as a cop, assigned to the crime scene unit. So how far into you being a cop did that happen and how did it happen? So I I joined the crime scene unit probably within, I think, right when I got off probation. So probably two years wow. um, in total. Yeah. And it started because I was it first started. I was on I was still an FTO mm-hmm. and I made friends with a guy that responded to a dead body. And this guy, you know, was just kind of showing me the rope, showing mm-hmm. me photo things. And as a trainee, you know, you have to follow along. Of course. And so whatever. And the guy was skin and bones, all this stuff, flies hit me in the face. And I was like, okay, this is kind of gross, but it's still interesting. My goal from the police academy, even before the police academy, was to be a homicide detective. That's what I wanted to be. <laughs> you didn't want a life. To be the puzzle solver. <laughs> yeah. That too, yes. I didn't know anything about that at the time, but I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to wear the nice shirt and tie, go to all these, you know, cool mm-hmm. things, whatever, you know, everything. Oh, that, that, you so see that whole CSI effect? Yeah. Not, not so much that, but like the law and order effect. Let's go with ah, that. Ah, deal. As my career was going on early in the thing i was like all right how can i get a foot up there you know Mm -hmm. and i was like let me get into crime scene and that'll get me an in with the detectives and the more importantly the detective sergeants and things like that so i got in got in the unit and just started becoming a sponge and i did i got really in with all the homicide detectives the robbery detectives the rape detectives and i was really starting when I left, I'm skipping ahead a lot, but Go ahead. you know, as towards the end of my my time at my first agency, I was really becoming that dependable crime scene tech to come out there because first off, I always worked, so either I was on duty or I was doing overtime, and they'd always be like, "Oh, he's working. Let's just get him and you know, snap some photos, take some uh, take some evidence back to the lab." So yeah. that, that dependability was good, and I actually waited two or three probably more than that now actually there were detective opening spots and they're like why don't you put in for it if that's what you want why aren't you putting in for it i was like because i don't know anything i was like i yeah. want to keep learning because i i've seen road cops who know nothing go into the detective bureau and it proved you can see that they know nothing you know no yeah. disrespect to them but they don't have that experience so i wanted to really be able to put together good cases when I made that jump, because that was the goal. And I didn't want to rush to that, you know? Right. Ultimately, I ended up leaving that agency before that even became a thing. And ultimately, ultimately, I left law enforcement. So probably well, never you didn't leave yeah. law enforcement. Yeah. I left, left. I left. I left uh, certified. Service. OK, so okay. wait, let's not get too hard ahead. Yes, that's a whole other second half. But right. Just to circle back, like you clearly enjoyed being in crime scene because you did. were like yeah. a sponge, like you said. I took to it. Instantly, you know, yeah. Um, I went to death and injury investigation conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple right down the road from where I worked. Um, I went to it, I think, three years in a row, maybe yeah. two, depends on COVID. Right. Um, I took a couple blood, blood, spatter, uh, yeah, 
blood splatter. I took that. I, I wanted to take shooting reconstruction, but I got denied like three times when wow. I put in for it. Um, took a bunch That's of weird. things. I really wanted to take forensics, um, forensic photography. Yeah. That was the one I really wanted. Got denied for that because I wasn't, we weren't full team, full time crime scene. And so when I was on the road or if I was, I was, uh, assigned to narcotics for a minute. I don't understand. Will you tell me that again? Like, what do you mean you weren't full-time crime scene? How were you assigned to the crime scene unit and also working the road? That's like yeah, literally sure. impossible. <laughs> ha. Ha. <laughs> you think, right? Yeah. So the way our agency had it set up is you had two crime scene detectives, right? Okay. One was, one was full-time sworn. Okay. And one was a full-time not sworn. And they were our full-time. That's all they did was crime scene. They did. We had our latent print examiner. We had a bunch everything, right? They okay. were but but they worked Monday through Friday, eight to five. <laughs> so they had they don't have yeah, a call. Is, hold on, hold on. But wait, oh, there's more. Sorry. So so they had when I joined the unit, I want to say four part-time crime scene techs that were basically on call status. So whether they were working their assigned duty or if they were off during their on-call time, which was um, a week at a time, then you would go in and you'd, you'd be on call. You'd be a crime scene tech. So you'd collect your evidence, take your photos, do everything, take it to the lab, try to process it within your tour of duty. But, you know, calls are stacking. So we're going to leave this right here and I'll be back to it. And then, you know, there were some issues with it. And this is how I kind of got burnt out in crime scene is I would collect all these cases. Yeah. I never get a chance to really process anything because calls are stacking and as i got to be a senior guy on the road that gave me more responsibility and when i was a when i was a detective i really had no time to do any of that yeah this is not a good way to do things (laughs) so i would call the full-time guys the full-time crime scene people and be like hey can you you know can you bag and tag can you help me with this can you help me with this and a lot of times they wouldn't and then i was like okay well i'll come in off duty but can you give me some lab hours like something wow they wouldn't do that either. So Struggling. I would have to find time to come in. And, yeah, I'd have to come find time to do it. And it came to the point where, okay, so I'm not getting the training that I want because I had n- I didn't go to school for forensics. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just kind of picking it up as I go. So I'm not getting that. I'm not getting the time to work my cases. So everything is getting put together shoddy. And as far as I know, no no case was lost because yeah. my crime scene That's stuff good. was bad. I know that. Yeah, but there are but, still multiple yeah. problems with what you just told me. Absolutely. Like absolutely. multiple problems. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you already knew that, but mm-hmm. they literally set you up to fail by A, not providing you with training and denying you. Like those classes that you got denied are super, super important. important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like especially without having any educational background, not saying that you need that. Don't at me, people. But it helps when you are now being denied shooting reconstruction, blood spatter analysis. These are like foundational. Right. And that was where I I agree completely. And that's where I was I was looking at. So eventually, obviously, there were some changes in the unit because people retire and things like that. I was looking at the people that were coming on and they had a lot more know-how about how to do the job. And I was like, okay, it's great that they know. I want to know. And especially working on Instagram and seeing, you know, pages like you and mm-hmm. other crime scene pages out there, I was like, I'm behind. Yeah. And my agency wasn't allowing me to get ahead. So if I didn't, if I didn't end up leaving, I was going to leave the unit because it was just, it was getting to be too much. Well, and the as integrity, much as I it. the integrity is compromised. I mean, I wish that I could say that it was shitty of those people not to help you out. However, I have been in their place and they probably like literally did not have the bandwidth yeah. to help you out at all. And because they had their own cases. Too. Exactly. And, and I, I never faulted them, you know, and yeah. they did help me when they could, of course. but you know, they got overworked and, you know, now my new agency way more regimented when it comes to crime scene. Yeah. Um, Are they, they civilian? They are all civilian. Well, why don't you they do have- that? <laughs> It's it's a possibility, but right now I'm pretty okay with where I'm at. But um, <laughs> my workload's just fine where it's at right now. But um, it's you know you never know. I'm just but elbowing you in the ribs. You're 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 speaking absolute truth with a lot of it. And I knew they've had me train or start to train, like give a give an idea of the guy that they wanted to replace me in the crime scene unit when I decided I was leaving. Mm-hmm. And I showed him, and he was like, "Okay, so what do we do here? What do we do here?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I was like, I'm yeah. telling you everything I know, man. And unfortunately, we don't have 
a lot of training in that. But the guy that they had in charge of the crime scene unit before I started was trying to get all those things to normalize, you know, normalize advanced training and things like that. But he ended up leaving, got promoted to do a different thing. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, different people have different visions for units and and the thing. So, well, for our audience who is not a crime scene investigator, because we are blessed to have a lot of forensic practitioners, including CSIs, listen to our show. There will probably be enough content one day for several episodes to talk about how crime scene investigators are set up to fail, both in the way that Mr. Tenade is talking about and like just literal exhaustion and being overworked and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> underappreciate underpaid mm-hmm. there's not enough reason and i know that like it's a very common thing like for pe- like people to complain that their job is understaffed and under resourced but on csi it's a whole new level guys so when i worked nights it was no big deal because getting right. called out in the middle of the night i'm probably up anyway or right. i'm working or something like that but for a time for a year and a half i was transitioned to narcotics detective and i was still on the unit And so imagine, right. And we were for the most part, six to six during the day. So imagine, but we flexed a lot and we worked weird hours and everything, especially for special events and things. So imagine you get off work at midnight, you were on surveillance all day. You finally get home, you get in bed two o'clock ring, ring, ring. Hey, we got a traffic homicide. We need to take pictures of that sucked. And then I got to be back at 6am to do it all over again. Let's talk about like exhaustion and burnout and the quality Uh of my work starting to slip and or getting called out for bullshit and you're like couldn't patrol take a picture i don't even want to get started on that (laughs) there were so many i i will tell you so i lived 30 to 40 minutes away well at a time i lived about 30 to 40 minutes away from my jurisdiction and i was on call and you know they made things work or whatever and i got called in i was moving furniture with my family I got called in. Hey, we had a shooting. Can you go ahead and uh, respond? I was like, yeah, let me <laughs> let me put this fridge yeah. where it needs to go. Get changed. and I'll be right to you. OK, cool. Well, guess what? That 40 minute drive took a little bit longer because I had other things I had to do beforehand. They literally mm-hmm. caught me carrying a fridge into a house. I finally get there. First thing they say when I get on scene about damn time, like, bro, you are here for 12 hours. Hakuna <laughs> Matata, like chill. You know, like that used to drive me crazy when like they'd call you out and we had an hour response time. Sometimes they called me like every 10 minutes. Like, how far away are you? Mm -hmm. Bitch, the same amount of time I told you last time. Mm -hmm. Do you? And I got there and I take the pictures and it it was like two shell casings. I was like, here we go. Mm -hmm. Done here. And they're like, that's it. I was like, that's it. Like, what? Why? You're. Like your camera, your camera probably takes better pictures than my camera. Why am I doing this? Right. So just small things. So clearly we could spout off at the mouth about this, about getting caught. I remember <laughs> I, you're, I think I'm, I don't remember if I told you this one or not. I got called out for, this is so Is this about flashlights? No, not this time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shut up. My listeners don't know that story yet. You sick freak. Why are you calling him <laughs> a sick freak? <laughs> Because he brought it up, but you can go listen to if you want to know what he's talking about. You're gonna have to find me on his podcast and listen to the (laughs) flashlight story. (laughs) Anyways, I got told that there was a burglary vehicle, and I showed up, and it was a trailer. (laughs) The trailer was empty, but somebody lifted the door, and they wanted it processed, but nothing was stolen. It was just open for the burglary. They called me out of my bed for that. And Mm -hmm. I literally, like, you know how we're all expected to have a certain amount of censorship intact? Mm -hmm. I lost it. Because I was on call all week. I had been called out several times. I was already, like, my evidence pile was ridiculous. And uh, to pile on to what he was saying earlier, What's worse than working a 12-hour shift, going home and getting called right back out Mm -hmm. is going home, going to sleep, getting called out at 6, but your shift starts at 8, so you only make two hours of overtime because your call-out 
bleeds into your next shift. Uh-huh. So you oh. only get paid and then you have to stay at work. Yep. So I got I have two things based on that. The first yeah. one made me think of a, another this is on duty. There was no overtime in the banks anyway. Mm-hmm. But I was busy on something. I was doing actual cop work, investigating something on patrol. And I get called because there's a shooting in the other district. Hey, we need to respond. And they're like, whole time, hey, you're on your way, you're on your way, you're on your way. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to arrest people here. Give <laughs> oh me a God. minute. Whatever. Okay. So I, so I finally get in the car and I go to the thing. And it was literally a guy shot two rounds into the air. And there were two. It was in an apartment complex. Yeah, but you into the air. That. There yep. were two shell casings. But you don't need stairwell. crime scene for that. That's, and that's what I was I was like. I, I took the pictures and I went, here you go. And I, I handed them to the, to the officer that was. Yeah, because they can't collect shell casings like. Yeah. And I I said that, you know, I said that to many people, you know, the lieutenant that worked that shift, he was just, oh, he has the big fancy camera. He can take pictures of everything. Like, bitch, it takes me more time to process that picture than it does to process the damn shell casing. because I got to upload it and all that bullshit. And second thing that second thing that made me think about that was when back when I was on the narcotics unit. I, we got cut early one day and he's like, hey, you know, go home, relax. You're still on the clock. Don't get in trouble, but go home. You're good. We're done for the day. Cool. Like, hey, boss cut us loose. No problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I go home. I'm sitting on the couch with my dog. I changed to go to the gym. I hear screaming outside of my apartment. Uh oh. And I go out and someone's like, he's dead. He's dead. Yikes. Oh. So she, she's like, someone call the cops. I'm like, oh, that's me. So <laughs> I run back <laughs> in. <Yeah>, off duty. <laughs> But I was the courtesy officer at that apartment complex. So oh. I had to go. I grabbed my vest. I threw it on. I'm like, what, what, what? She goes, he's hanging. So literally my next door neighbor, I go in. And sure enough, he's hanging from his belt in the in the uh, closet. So yep, I, he's you know, dead. I on the ra- yeah, I, <laughs> I get on the radio. I call it out, whatever. They make me work it because I'm there already. Why are we going to call out a crime scene tech if you're already there? <laughs> I wasn't on call or anything. And they're like, hey, at least you get the overtime. I'm like, nah, dude, I'm still technically on straight time because I got to go home early and this is my fucking luck. So that was just, and I ended up, the the medical examiner took forever to get there. I hate that. Just, so it just took forever. Never got to go to the gym either. Oh, Yeah, it was just a bad night. Bad night. First off, the guy had to hang himself and then I didn't get to go to the gym. Everyone loses <laughs> in that scenario. Everyone loses in that. And the endorphins aren't there for that post-workout spike. Right. Oh, no dopamine. Nothing. Dude. The best part of that night was we're sitting at the dude's kitchen table waiting for the medical examiner. She knocks on the door. She goes, hey, is anyone in here? I'm like, hey, we're just hanging out. Some better than others. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You're so messed up. (laughs) That was the high point of that entire evening. That's morbid. Okay, so (laughs) this is the kind of dark humor that we all have to have to survive in the role. This is... (laughs) And I have to admit... Though it has the clutching the pearls effect, it is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how about if you want dark humor? So I was in field training. So I went through field training twice and my second time through. So I already had an exposure to dark humor and things like that. And my field trainer, you remember, this is a long time ago now. Um, Ariana Grande had a concert in the UK. And yeah. The explosion. Yeah. The bo- yeah. It happened that night. So we're oh, driving. No. And I was like, hey, did you hear about uh, that Ariana Grande thing? And my trainer's like, yeah. I was like, I heard everyone had a blast. Oh, my You're God. so stupid. <laughs> You're so <laughs> stupid. so bad. And he even looked at me. He goes, pull this car over right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're done. Okay, so speaking of yeah. dark, let's go ahead and flip it. Okay, so do you want to kind of tell us the circumstances of why you ultimately ended up going from being a road officer to dispatch and you can kind of tell that story how you want yeah yeah i can so okay. we go from funny dark to not so yeah funny dark. <laughs> hey let's rip that band-aid off right 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 so everyone hold on to that ariana grande joke because that's got to hold you over for me. yeah um <laughs> no so I was on the road for a total of about six and a half years. I worked um, primarily on our East district, which was more tourism based, but obviously we had families, neighborhoods, things like that. But the good thing about that, we didn't have the drug. Well, we had drugs, but we didn't have like the drug Mm -hmm. dealing, the shootings, the stolen vehicles as much. Right. So we more time to play, more time to be proactive, stuff like that. 
I um, got a nice little home, I guess you could say, in the squad that I was in. Very, very good. I was, I was very happy where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> along comes this fella who worked at a neighboring agency. He decides to join our agency because he too liked to get into shit. He too was a shit magnet and his agency wasn't doing it for him. So this guy is by the name of Jason Rayner. And he, he and I met at a narcotics class when we were brand spanking new. And I, every time I tell this story, I swear I met him before that, but life is telling me that we didn't, but I swear we did. So we had a special event in town and I was working at an off duty capacity. And because he was a brand new mm-hmm. cop, he was like a trainee. So you were the he FTO. was my trainee for the day, but I knew him okay. for the day. Yes. For, I was, I wasn't actually an FTO every time I put in for it, they denied <laughs> it. So whatever. But for that day, because I was the senior okay. officer in that sector, I was his walking beat FTO, but I looked at him. I was like, dude, you know, as much, if not more than me. So let's just have some fun. So first car or first thing we stop was a, a like 49 CC scooter with a cardboard <laughs> box as its license plate. Like that was just that just set the pace. Right. So uh, maybe a month goes by. He finishes the classroom part of his training. He passes field training. He comes to my squad. He initially is hmm. my zone partner. The first night that we work together is like the night before a hurricane. I want to say. Matthew or Michael, mm-hmm. one of those biblical <laughs> names. And um, the first person we stop uh, was breaking into a house. You know, we just happened to, uh, I think a call came in, but we stopped him loitering and prowling before a hurricane. That's a big deal, right? Is it special circumstances because it's before stopped. a hurricane? Oh yeah. We were in national disaster and everything like that. Oh, we were nice. Emergency, so it was nice. good. It was good. It was a good, good pop. Yeah. And it was a homeless guy that like used to like bullshit with me. So I was like, God, I felt betrayed. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Reggie, I thought we were cool. Why are you breaking into this man's house? Anyway, so hurricane passes, whatever. And we're, we're just kind of running and gunning first. Uh, I, I was radar certified and he hits me up one night and is like, Hey, let's, let's stop some cars. So I sit at the bottom of a hill car comes down. I hit him. He's going oh. like 90 and a 40. We get out to go stop him. The guy flees crashes. This guy crashed into like a super duty lifted pickup truck, like, hundred thousand dollars if not more whatever it was just fun right just good old we never caught the guy but good old-fashioned police work whatever fast forward like two years that's when i went to the narcotics unit during that time he was just getting it he was just on the road stopping people arresting people every day he would send me a new picture of the new thing he caught kilos of drugs or you know ounces of drugs guns all good stuff so eventually i have enough fun in the drug unit. I decided to go back to the road. We get to partner up again. Uh, this time he's on a different part of the district, but we still got to hang out. So now we're talking, this is spring 2021 and kind of going, we each take a vacation, whatever June, 2021 comes in. He's on vacation. We're both from New Jersey. We both like the same kind of music. We're just nice. Peas in a pot. Good, good dude. On the Sunday, so the way our squads worked, or the way our shifts worked, if you worked Monday, Tuesday, you were off Wednesday, Thursday, then you would work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you'd rotate the following week. So that week, we were working Sunday. He was off. It was the last day of his vacation. He came in anyway. I made dinner. Uh, I made, you know, Sunday gravy, whatever, eating. It was nice to see him. So Monday, don't know what happened. Tuesday, uh, my girlfriend came up to visit me. We're up. And uh, we're at a bar, we're at a brewery. And he texts me, he goes, hey, what are you guys doing? You want to come out? We're playing uh, Dirty Bingo at this bar. Sounds I don't fun. Know what that was. Sound like a good time. Yeah. Sounds like but I was bingo. like, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of bar, but maybe. But I was like, I was like, you know what, Jason? I'm actually, I got plans to see my sister. If we get out early, I'll come down and see you. And he said, okay, cool. So I went up, saw my sister. We had dinner there. We didn't get out till late. Didn't, didn't meet, but we were going to work on Wednesday. I'd see him. No big deal. Wednesday starts. No, no, nothing crazy. Uh, this is June 23rd. Get dispatched to a crash. And I worked, I went in at four. He came in at six. This is about five 30 probably. And sure enough, he's on scene. He's already there. I see him. We wave. I don't get to talk to him cause he's blocking an intersection. I'm dealing with people directing traffic, which if you've never understood human stupidity, yeah. direct traffic, for yeah. an hour, <laughs> you'll figure it out. <laughs> so, 
that's that's it. You know, I stop in my it was right across the street from my apartment. I stop in, say hello, kiss the wife, kiss the kids. Yeah. No kids, but you get what I'm saying. Anyway. Yes. The night goes on and um I don't know what time it was, probably about eight thirty, nine o'clock. Um, I'm at the station, I'm working on an arrest I just made, and uh I hear Jason key up. And Jason always had this bad habit of letting go of his microphone too quickly. I always told him that. I was like, man, um, whatever he's like keyed up and it he cut himself off but that didn't register to me it sounded like normal but it didn't sound normal to our supervisor and he was like calling him on the radio no answer now that's weird usually he would answer right back up and uh you know he go he pulls his gps and is like you know where is he find out where he is units that worked that area were rushing to him guys get on scene and they're like you know we need ems code three officer down and what does code three mean yeah. for code three license sirens? Yeah. Full, emergency. Get there right now. Drive, drive the doors off the vehicle, get there. And I didn't hear anything, oh, but no. officer down. So I'm, I'm processing an arrest. I go, fuck that. Put the car in drive and go. We get there. Oh. And, uh, I want to say, I mean, I remember part, I think I parked my car and getting out and just running to where everyone else was. And, uh, Jason's on the ground. He's got a towel over his head. And, uh, oh, during that, you know, I hear that he's got shot in the head oh and my chest. Gosh. That's what was told to us. And uh, I get there, you know, I, I had no reason to run to him, right? Because there were already guys mm-hmm. there, but I did anyway. And I just pull my gun out and I'm just scanning. I'm like, yeah, fucker's got to be here somewhere, right? Um, obviously, he wasn't. But, okay, so let's fast forward just in case any litigation in the future, but long story short, um, and by like within an hour, they released Jason's body Uh. camera footage to the media. But basically, yeah, (laughs) he, uh, basically he got out with a subject who was behind an apartment complex that we had several shootings at recently and known for drug activity, things like that. And when he gets out to contact him, there's a very brief struggle and the guy fire allegedly fires off one shot maybe two and hits Jason in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the rest of the night is mm-hmm. looking for the guy. Um, we get a, so the initial description that was given to us is a white male, blah, 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 blah. And my partner stop a white male. So I fucking run to him. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm ready for this to be the guy. And I'm going to kick his face. in. like, I am so angry at this point. Like, yeah, like right. all that stuff they teach in the Academy. Like, Oh, this job's not personal. Fuck you. It's personal. Right. I was ready. But, it wasn't him, mm-hmm. right? Once that video came out, I was like, "Oh, it's your lucky day!" Like the guy I was yeah. kick his head in. But <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I had yeah. some restraint, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so the night goes on. We do, we get everyone that was working. So at this point, I want to say every neighboring agency comes yeah. rushing to our area. Was helping, yeah, yeah. So they took everyone that was working, all the squad members, um, go to the station. We're going to debrief and figure out and where my mind automatically went and, you know, people chatter, um, was we were getting called in for yeah, the absolute worst. Obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't, we didn't get that news. Just, you know, is everyone okay? Anyone need anything? We have services available. Yeah. Cops didn't want to talk cause cops don't talk. And we've talked about this, that mm-hmm. it's the same on our side sometimes as well. So we, the, the Sergeant that was in charge of our debrief, did not get any direction from her higher ups of what to do next. Like, okay, when they don't want to talk, what do I do? So she's like, I have no reason to keep you guys. I guess you guys can go back to the road. Right. So we, we kind of meander back to our cars. I get in, I call 10, eight back in duty. They dispatched me to like a noise or a noise complaint. And I was like, fuck that noise complaint. Like, fuck that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like they can do whatever. It seems so small now. Right. Right. But I mean, immediately somebody, I don't know who it was, was like, no, you're not going to that. Get back to the station. So, but I was actually dispatched with a buddy of mine and I kind of want, looking back at it, I kind of wanted to see him because it would have been like, we were all familiar Mm -hmm. faces, but it would have been different, but no problem. They sent us back. And again, we kind of did that whole merry-go-round of anyone want to talk? Anyone got something to say? No, nobody wants to talk. Okay, you guys are good to go home. Well, no one really wants to go yeah. home either. So, I mean, we do, but we don't. Obviously, we want to see our family, but we don't want to be there. 
Um, so I go out to the parking lot and I'm standing in a circle with a bunch of people and they're just talking. And again, it's the, Oh, did you hear what, blah, blah, blah. And it just pissed me off. Like I was in such, a, I'm not an angry guy. I, I mean, I make memes no. for a quasi yeah. living and I was so angry. Like everything these people were saying, I was like, this isn't, Get out of yeah, my Tip- yeah. those are, those are typical emotions. Long story short, we were given leave for however long we needed. Um, I took about two weeks and then I went back to work mostly because I was like the, the people on the road, mm-hmm. my, my, my partners, yeah, they need me there kind of thing. Like they, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. want camaraderie. I, right. And I don't, I don't want to mandate anyone that doesn't need to be there. Like the opposite squad was already covering our shifts endlessly, you know? So I, I wanted to relieve that. So I went back to work the Friday of the 4th Oof. of July weekend, whatever that was. And, um, yeah, I worked the weekend again, Jason's still in the hospital. And, right. um, I remember. Yes. And so 4th of July was on a Sunday. I get off at 4 a.m. So now mm-hmm. we're talking July 5th. Uh, before that, earlier in the night, um, I text my sister. My sister, so just some backstory for people that don't know me. Uh, my parents have passed away several years ago. So my sister and I were super tight. My sister mm. is about 14 years older than me. So super tight. We text all the time. Like we had a rule that when I got home every night, 4 a.m., I had to text her. That's so sweet. That kind of That's how close we were. So I texted her from the middle of 4th of July dealing with shooting complaints and actually working a dead body is when I talked to her last. I was like, hey, just letting you know we're super busy, but, you know, just checking in. I get home at 4 a.m. I don't text her right away because it was such a busy night. Talk about useless crime scene usage. Every single shot's fire complaint. Guess who had to go pick up shell casings? Okay. Right. So I get... I, I honestly don't remember what time it was, but I got a text from my nephew. My So my sister had uh, many kids and um, they ranged from the ages of, I think, 26 oh, wow. to six, something like that. So the wider range. So my oldest nephew texts me and goes, uh, hey, just want to let you know, uh, mom's being his sister or his mom, my sister, <gasps> being rushed to the hospital. Um, oh, my she's gosh. Not conscious. She had a asthma attack at three o'clock in the morning long story short oh a week gosh. later she passed away um she uh they they tried to give her cpr and everything but everything just closed up she had a collapsed lung like instantly it was bad um so have to deal with that now and right so now i'm off work for i don't know three more weeks all while this is going on, I've already put in for a new agency. Nothing connected to any of this, but just that's where life was going. And um, take the three weeks off, try to get my sister's house in order. Um, like I said, my sister has a lot of kids, most of which still live at home. She has her husband. And um, so I try to get that situated. Literally, I remember. So I get that call from my nephew and I go, all right, I'm exhausted. I am no good to anyone right now. Let me sleep for because this is definitely the mm-hmm. denial in me. I, I know it now. Um, let me sleep for a little bit. I'll wake up and yeah. then, you know, when she's better, yeah. I'll come up and check on her. That kind of thing. That's a common police officer thing, though. I want you to know because I I mean, I'm not going to call this out because of privacy, but I am aware of more than one officer that has that. Yeah. denial response mm-hmm. to something that's very like put it this way, like something is very clearly happening, but their yeah. brain has to like say no to it so it's not that is not a weird story to me though like maybe some of our audience isn't familiar with it but like i think that when people like you and i and anybody that has to experience tragedy like things that shelly's had to see like there's a something in Mm -hmm. your brain that shifts for protection which is like Mm -hmm. this isn't real and i need to sleep for it to be like, I, I totally it's, it's understand. It's so this. crazy that it happens to us in our personal life, but in the work, we're like, oh no, that's normal. It mm-hmm. happened in the and personal life, yeah. So, and so that's what happened when I slept is I kind of went from denial to realization. And I went up there and even going way back in my story, but when my dad, my dad had a oh, stroke when gosh. I was 14, and I had the same thing that. I saw him have the stroke in front of me. I went to sleep that night and I woke up like, yeah. oh, it's gotta be better now, right? Okay, so fast forward to to present day or then present day, and uh, I get up there and I'm I, I know what needs to be done, you know I know like I call the same sergeant who a few weeks ago was in charge of our debrief. I'm like, hey, I need I need family mm-hmm. resources, I need this, like this is mm-hmm. gonna get bad, and sure enough, it did. So three weeks pass, 
And again, I feel like I just took two weeks off for Jason. Now I took three weeks off for my family. I need to get back to work. Mm -hmm. I'm already leaving. Like, you know, my desire to help these, this job was there. Right. And, uh, definitely misplaced. But so I go back and I think I, I, it's funny because only now do I realize that I worked for like another two weeks in my mind. Originally I was like, Oh no, I just, my sister passed away and then I left the job. No, I, you know, more stuff happened. So I I worked like another month at that job, got hired at the new place. My last day, uh, you know, some things happened. Oh, I'm sorry. My last day, your last day. Yeah. My, my last day on the road in with my patrol squad. Cause I, I took my two weeks of paid time off, Mm -hmm. but I was still getting paid. It was kind of smart, but my last day we get, we get in and, um, my sergeant tells us, Hey, because we had two districts and said everyone meet in the center of the city we have a we have a joint briefing and i was like okay and we're sitting in the parking lot and they basically say uh jason's taking a turn for the worse he's not going to make it which the reports up to that point were hey jason's improving he's been talking to people he's gotten up a few things but you know the medical world works in different ways right so that's now where our mind is going. And and then I don't fault my sergeant for doing this because I know he said it out of a place of like trying to like levity the mood or whatever. It was like, and it's it's his last day. And I'm like, not not the time. Right. And I remember going back to the station. They they made a cake for yeah. me and I sat and I, you know, I remember the Little League World Series was on. I just ate this cake and watched that. I'm like, I'm not working. Today. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be here all night. Got to the point where I went back to my apartment. I grabbed my pitching wedge, went across the street where the golf court was. And I just was hitting balls into yeah. the into the, the chipping green. Like Happy um, Madison. Yeah. Yeah. Happy yeah, Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, happy Gilmore. Happy yeah, Madison. Yeah. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, okay. So that was my last day on the road. Some time passes. I go up to, and by some time, I mean like less than a week, right? I go up to my family's house. We're going to have dinner. And I was like, hey, I got to grab something. I can't remember what, but I got to grab something at my my apartment. I'll be right back. So I drive all the way back to my apartment. And I'm in a good mood. With everything that's going on, I'm in a good mood. My windows are down. The music's up. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm living life. I get to my apartment. Again, I can't remember what I was going for. But I get a call. From my sergeant saying, hey, um, you need to put your class aides on and meet us oh at the hospital. Oh, my gosh. So, and. Oh, because yeah. of the, yeah, the procession. So, class A's, right. for everyone that doesn't know, that's yeah. your full dress uniform, which you yeah. only wear that for ceremonies. It's like the, yeah. it's like the fancier one. Hat. Right. Yeah. Shirt, tie, yeah. shine boots, all that. All the ribbons. Mm-hmm. Those chevrons. So, yeah. I didn't get any of those. I wasn't that fancy, but yes, you were. Um, <laughs> so I, I, we go to the hospital, and um, basically they, they, Ugh. Jason passed away that night, and um, then we, we gave him the, you know, the, the motorcade to the medical examiner's office. Um, I hate yeah. that motorcade. It's, I mean, I don't hate it. You know what I mean? Right. I hate, yeah. I hate the feelings. It. The feelings of it. You watch yeah. it, but you hate that you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been a part of too many of them, and um, so. We did that. We uh, got to the medical examiner's office and we're standing in a, in a circle. I remember this, you know, me and my squad and someone's like, say a prayer. I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. Like, I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not a religious guy. Sorry, but yeah. you know, I'll be there for you guys, but we don't need to, we don't That's need not to your make lane. it silly. Yeah. So this is getting a long story. I'm, I apologize, well, you had but, two significant events. Right. And so here's where they all crashed together. So now we're at the end of August, August 19th. I don't know. So August 20th was the day my mom passed away 11 years ago or actually mm-hmm. 10 years ago at that time. So that was the day we were going to do my sister's celebration of life. So we did that. Uh, less a few days later was Jason's viewing and then it was Jason's funeral. And so all within a five day wow. period, I think we did all those things and you know, all while I'm leaving. So I end up leaving the agency, another unit, that worked for our agency passed away from COVID oh, shortly thereafter, not as significantly against, you know, for me, but I did know him. He was one of my FTOs. That was a big deal. I started the new agency and all this stuff has compounded over time. Right. Yeah, and I'm just like at this point, putting my shoulder down and just, Hey, let's just get through it. I'm about to start on the road at this new agency. 
no big deal. Like, I'm excited. This agency seems very good. October 1st. Now, I'm dry. I'm off duty. I'm off training. I'm going to get a haircut, get a call from a, the sergeant from before. The debrief sergeant goes, hey, you busy right now? I said, no. Uh, just driving to get a haircut. What's going on? She goes, uh, you're driving. Can you pull over? I said, no. What's going on? She goes, well, uh, Pat, who was the first on scene that found Jason. Oh, my uh, gosh. So law enforcement has a super high suicide rate for those listeners who mm-hmm. may not be aware. Yeah. The the rate current the current rate's one in four. For every yeah. one person for every one police officer that gets killed in the line of duty by a gunshot or a car accident, yes. four will take their own life. So incredibly sad. Yes. So you know, we talk about twenty two a day for military. Um yeah. it's just as bad for law enforcement, but we don't talk about yeah. it. Um, no, yeah. So Pat uh, to talk about him a little bit. Pat came from another agency as well. He was this. I learned more about Pat at his funeral through his for through his parents' eulogy than I knew about him personally. We were we were good. Like we were zone part or we were squad partners as well. Just funny guy. Wanted to work want, every day as we're leaving brief and he go all right. Let's go put people in prison. Like he just wanted to arrest bad people, you know. And unfortunately, with Jason and everything that came with it negative coping mechanisms yeah. and anything else going on, you know, demons got the best of him. So that happened and it took me again, yeah. shock and denial. And, um, I went back to work on Monday and I go to, we break for lunch out of training and I see a text from a friend of mine that said, Hey, these are past funeral arrangements. Can you make it? And so I was like, I guess I got to have this conversation <laughs> with my training officers. You know, I wasn't yeah. expecting to have that conversation today. And I go up to him. I say, Hey, um, can I get Wednesday off? I got to go to my buddy's funeral. And uh, he was like, what? And so we have this long conversation and they're like, are you okay? I was like, mm, no, <laughs> like not particularly. Like, right. I was like, I don't know how to answer that question. I was like, yeah, you know, there's a little too much grim reaper right now. And he, he, you know, one of them said, you know, do you still want to do this job? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I've been faced with, the ex- the entire spectrum of emotions regarding law enforcement yeah in two months yeah and i don't know and so you know he was like all right because we were about to do oh. active shooter training and i was in my mind i'm like i don't know like because okay i don't like getting shot with yeah. sim rounds i don't like it but at the same time i'd much rather get shot with a sim round than a bullet but the way my mind was going was, why do I want to take a bullet for these people? Like, why? Yeah. Like, like I get, I get the service. Obviously, that's why I did it for six years. But given everything, you know, and I had, I had a lot more in my mind that I'm, that I'm saying. But so, long story short, he sent me. I went home that day, and like, unfortunately, I was brand new at the agency. I didn't have a lot of wiggle room, and I was a trainee. Yeah. They're like, hey unfortunately you got to figure it out. Like, do you want to keep going down this way or do you want to like put it on pause and go do something else? And I ultimately said, I'm going to put it on pause. Yeah. It's, it was too much. It was enough. You had had enough. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily my chief was awesome because he could have very well been like, all right, well I hired you to be a cop. You want to be a cop. Yeah. See ya. Like doors on the right, but he didn't, he goes, all right, I'm going to reassign you to dispatch. But the deal is you can't leave. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm investing dispatch training in you. You can't leave this agency. Like I want you here. That was, that, that was you know, nice actually. Correct. Yeah. So he, yeah. he didn't say it in a dick yeah. way, but he was no, like, no, I get you know, what he's saying. Yeah. Like he's now. Yeah. So I, so I was like, okay. And I mean, I kicking and screaming did not want to be a dispatcher. I thought this <laughs> was like punishment and just, this was not me. This was insulting. It took me up until recently to really, accept my new position and got got to the point where i'm good at my job i enjoy my job i enjoy the people i work with you know and it's taken a lot of counseling a lot of therapy sessions of just like realizing that my issue was i put too much of me in law enforcement and and it it's turned into me kind of telling other people like this job is not your personality. Don't do yeah. that. You know, separate. Yeah. And this is why. And I actually think that's a great thing to like, so many people do that. Mm-hmm. And 
while I agree that at some point this becomes an element of who we are, because once you've experienced that side of the world, you can't unsee it, right? Right. You can't unsee that side of the world. However, that is like a variable, not like the core yeah. of who you are. And Correct. One of the reasons why I asked you about this is because one of my favorite parts of your page isn't just the amazing, insightful, thoughtful, creative, unique memes. It's because he plops in like all these really great, like it's time that we accept that mental health resources are normal and stop acting like you're too tough for a pussy. Yeah. For like needing help or like you don't have resilience for doing that. So like he like plugs in like things that moments that matter amongst the hilarity. So that's why I kind of wanted you like that's why like we went down this journey on a podcast that usually is kind of silly with the education because I really like the arc of you expressing things that I mean, I haven't gone through that amount of trauma at the same time. Like I have to admit mm-hmm. like that is not a story that I can pr- even pretend lot. to relate to, but I I love that you've been so open about it um online and you know what's so funny is people shit on him. What? Mm-hmm. For people shit on him all the time mm-hmm. because he's in dispatch now. And they post all this crap about how he quit being a cop and how he should not have a cop anymore page and I'm like you guys are so you look so dumb. You look so <laughs> dumb shitting on him. You clearly have not been following right. this page for more than five minutes because he would, I wouldn't say that you like crapped it out immediately, but you've been open about this journey online. Yeah. So I made the switch to dispatch in October of last year. And I want to say by December, I came out in the open about it. Yeah. And again, that had more to do with yeah. me coming to terms with it than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, like Jason's death was an eye opener for me. It really made me figure the balance of, is it worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze? But Pat's death was, was the tipping point for me. Like at the end of the day, this job is not worth that. And it really made me realize actually in December of when I, when I made it public that I left the job, um, I had gone back to where I, used to work and we went out to the bar a bunch of us that were on that squad and i remember we're at the bar and we're just drinking whatever and some guy who was a rookie right he was like less than six months on the job comes up to me and goes hey man uh just want to let you know because at that point i think i've made Mm -hmm. a few posts about it um i think i've made a, a couple of podcast episodes about it. he goes you know seeing your posts and listen to your podcast about mental health and stuff. It really made me realize that I'm not wow. as well. Oh, um, he's like, baby. I noticed. Yeah. He's like, I, my girlfriend noticed that I'm not, I'm not okay. And yeah. so I signed up to get counseling or whatever. And I love that, that. Yes. So that made me was like, okay. And, and this was something that I realized from the pot, from mm-hmm. the page a long time ago, but to see it in front of me with someone that I could touch yeah. was like, this so is so much yeah. more tangible. Correct. So I was like, all right, you know, I, and, and if we're going to be completely transparent, like two weeks before that, I was at my lowest point. Oh, understandable. Point. Absolutely understandable. You got a little bit of sunshine. Yes. And I was like, okay, there's, there's something here. Like, me doing this shit and experiencing everything is helping people. So yes. So I started focusing a lot of my content on mental health and moving forward and resiliency. And how do we make sure that the sacrifices Jason and Pat made were not in vain Yeah, and using their stories and things like that to push that message. And so I've, you know, through going to counseling myself and everything, I actually, I've gone back to school. I started, my bachelor's That's in clinical awesome. psychology. So that way one day I can be a psychiatrist or not even a counselor for cops. And just, I've joined my department's peer support team. Good. Um, I've yeah, I'm, I just self-nominated myself to be in the um, police officers association. So I can again, help police officers. And you know, that's 
And now this third season of my show is literally focused all on different aspects of well-being. So whether it be physical, mental, financial, humor, like all those things are focused so that way cops can listen to it and one hour a week can pick up maybe a skill or an idea and maybe apply it to their life. Um, I love that. I, you know, I've, I'm really appreciating this and you've overcome so much uh, grief and heartache. And recently I've actually met some dispatchers that have turned CSI because, you know, it, it irritates me that people are mocking you for being a dispatcher because these folks that I recently met have, they told me, and as they're telling me the story of them leaving dispatch they're tearing up and some of them are like actively crying because they Mm -hmm. said some of the stuff that you hear is so incredibly heavy that they said, we can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that, if you put that into perspective of they went from dispatch to being a crime scene investigator to going and processing crime scenes because it's easier Mm -hmm. mentally. That's crazy. Cause there's no surprise there. Everything is already done. Yeah, it's I, over, right? I got, I've had at least two calls in the year that I've been in dispatch where I felt completely helpless. Oh. And I think that's what they're dealing with because I've had literally my, I was in training, my first 911 call the day, like I, I took a few admin lines and they go, all right, the first 911 call of the day, that's yours. And typically people call 911 for bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. But the first 911 call, so the way our center's signed up, is that the night you call 911, it goes to the mm-hmm. county and it'll come back to us. So that's just how it works. We're not built for that. And I get the call and it's the county dispatcher going, hey, I've got a 911 for you. Uh, we've got a subject with a gun in his mouth. Wow. Okay, Daddy. So that's my first one, right? And talk okay. about feeling helpless. There is only my words are going to make or break this situation, right? And that's, that's an oh shit moment. That's a fuck me moment. And end of the day, it all came fine. Few like a month ago, I got a call. Same thing. I'll tell you the story how it happened in real time, and I'll give you the the postscript after. So get a nine one one call. This guy calls says, "Hey, um, oh. I just shot my wife." Okay. And I and I said, "Okay, okay. Um, where where is she? She's like, oh, she she was in the kitchen, and uh, and I shot her." I said, "Okay. Um, you know, were you cleaning your gun? What happened? Yeah. You know, and I'm getting the the." address and things and i'm like you know and he goes no no i got i blacked out and i just i walked in the kitchen and i shot her okay I said okay where's the gun now he's like it's it's in my hand i was like okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know can you put it down he goes no i think i'm gonna think oh, i'm gonna use no. it on myself oh no click i'm literally there with my headset like i, I i'm like pulling it away from my ear i don't want to hear the bang you know like i'm just <sighs> wow freezing up long story short that was a swatting call that was all fake it was um, generated from a Google what voice the heck? phone number. Was what? A- what? Yes. What? Somebody. Ew. Yeah. Yes. The person I didn't even live there. It was terrible. Right. So to go back to what you're saying about the dispatcher turned crime scene, I can totally get it. Now, I know what happens at a lot of these calls. I know what the yeah. goal looks like. I know what whatever. But that helpless feeling in the meantime, like even just a simple domestic and you're just you're watching the GPS waiting for the cops to turn down this corner and then that corner. And you're like, can they drive any slower? Like, yeah. Not even and you crazy. know, yeah, they're, they're not. Going, I mean, too. they're going code three. They're going right. sirens. They're, you know, they're or, or at least maybe not sirens. Maybe they're just going, you know. But those seconds yeah. seem like hours. And that part, knowing that I can't do anything, just, all right, stay with me, you know, or, or is the door locked? And you hear uh, the banging on the door and shit. Yeah. It, it gets to you, right? Because yeah. what else am I going to mm-hmm. do? So, well, I've. Yeah. Damn. And there's, I've taken trainings where, you know, doing the mental health side of things, I've listened to 911 mm-hmm. calls for critical incidents and in crisis negotiation where, you know, it's a um, same thing like the call I described where the guy's like, oh, you know, I got my wife or I got my mom here. I just shot her in the legs and blah, blah, blah. Like, all you can do is just hope you don't yeah. say something to set them off. Like, yeah. as, a, as a dispatcher, you are a crisis negotiator, whether you want to or not, whether you got the training or the little button on your shirt or not. That's what you're going to be because it's going to ring in your ear and you got to answer it. And you better not have a bad day because if you're having a bad day, you could set someone off. To take the very sad story about Jason 
and not make it light, make it better, make it anything. But there is a story related to what happened to him that I do like. And that is the story about how the person that is responsible for Jason's death, who shall remain nameless because he doesn't effing matter, how he was caught. Because he probably thought that he was not, that he was scot-free. Mm-hmm. This person was, I think, it, how long was that search? Was it like a week-ish or two weeks? Do you I remember? Think it was less than a week. Less than a week. He was found not only in a different state, he had made his way into like rural, remote property, and he was in like a shack surrounded by an arsenal. It like literally, I think like nationalists were hiding him or something. Am I telling mm-hmm. that wrong? No, you're 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 right. Yeah, okay. he was part of a um yeah, he was part like of a sovereign citizen group. crap or something. Yeah. And he was found actually not in a shack, but in a yeah. treehouse. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so a shack, and, uh, but higher. Yes. And he was met with uh by the FBI and Georgia Department of Public Safety and whatever, and mm-hmm. about three or four of our SWAT operators from where I used to work. Wow. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he never saw it coming and which they, is the best part. Yes, and he uh, he walked down that tree wearing Jason's cuffs. So I love it when they do that. They did that for Lieutenant Debra, uh, Deborah Clayton in Orlando mm-hmm. too. They mm-hmm. put her POS's hands in her cuffs. So I remember when you and I were communicating when Jason had that incident, and I was like, "They're gonna get him. I feel it. My intuition. They're gonna get him." And then when they finally found him like that. I like the the teeny amount of sadism in me loves that yeah. this guy mm-hmm. thought he was safe, that he oh, was yeah. in like the boonies, that he was all in deliverance and nobody was ever going to find him. But somebody ratted his ass out and he's <laughs> got it coming and I can't yes. wait. And I think I, we could probably make this like 17 episodes if you and I keep talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we should probably bring this to a he- um, a close because what we've already done is like kind of get to the get through the hilarity, get to the meat and bones and the true karma heart work of what like we're all doing here, which is that we're ridiculous, but we care about things that matter. You know, thank you, first of all, for you know, for your service. Thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for everything that you've endured for the safety of others, for the safety of people that you don't even know. And, I, you know, I applaud mm-hmm. that. I appreciate that. I just, to to kind of cap the whole need for peer support and things like that, I just as Laura was telling me, like, even thinking about what happened today, right? I wasn't able to go because if I went, then I wouldn't be here in time and things like that. But my idea is like, you know, why are we having debriefs the same day people work? Things we like should that. Not. Like, right. Yeah. Because because think about how great in-service training is when you have to work, right? Like you you do whatever you need to do for 15 minutes and then hey, calls are holding, let's go. Or it's happened plenty of times to me, like, hey, you can't sit on in-service, we'll get you on another time because calls are holding, mm-hmm. and then you never get scheduled. Things like that. So there are many things that need to be changed in the the grand scheme of all this, but the fact that the conversations are being had, the fact that resources are out there and starting to leak into the in the society and culture of law enforcement and forensics, and even you know our friends that are sleeping at the firehouse and all them, um, and playing video games and cooking. Listen, listen. <laughs> I love you. I love them. I, during the hurricane, right? Because we're down in Florida, we just we just. Uh, endured quite right. a hurricane which by the a way two. that's a critical incident debrief wow. in its in and of itself but the fact that we're having these conversations is very important i yes. think it's the start of something good um i was actually i interviewed someone for my podcast earlier this morning oh and the idea is the way that we affect change is one little bit at a time whether you're talking about your personal nutrition your physical fitness or mental health, one little bit at a time. And if it ripples out and starts affecting other people, then that's a step in the right direction. We can't change everything all at once, but if we could do one little brick by one brick. One little chocolate yeah. chip in the good thing. So, Yes. So if any of you have known me for long enough, you know that I also teach private yoga. And a lot of my yoga clients, when they're starting to feel discouraged or some kind of way about their perceived lack of progress, I always give the little talk where I say, we measure progress in millimeters, not inches mm. here. Mm-hmm. And millimeters may not be what you want, 
but it's something and it eventually does add up. So I totally love that. For everyone listening, please go follow on Instagram, 108 underscore memes. I don't know. What is your Twitter handle the same? What's your Twitter handle? Twitter is 108 underscore ENT for entertainment. Ah, okay. Um, Facebook is 108 memes, just all spelt out and spaced. Well, other than that, you can find him at the 108 podcast. Mm -hmm. And everywhere. Everywhere (laughs) videos are sold. I mean, everywhere everywhere podcasts can be listened to. Yes. And of course, you can find your girls. We're always at Crime Scene Queens, at the talking of Tick, <laughs> at the booking of Face, and the gramming of Insta. That, that sounds That's vulgar. amazing. You're and, vulgar. And, like and at the mail and, of the I like it too. <laughs> and at the mail, no, no, it's at the mail of hello can, at crimescenequeens.com. You can reach out and Shelly and I will actually yeah. answer you. Yeah. So email us and you can find us on social media too. We will actually answer you. So that being said, thank you so much for your time and for joining us. I knew this was going to be ridiculous and it was exactly, it was everything I I expected and more. That Ted is 100% super rad. And for those listeners that know, hashtag 100% (laughs) and hashtag rad because my niece counts those every episode and I don't think I dropped either of them, so I had to. I just had to. No, you've been good. Okay, so apparently there's a drinking game for whenever Shelly says 100% I can't or bad on this show. Oh for, for We've been getting the feedback. Right. I know. This is the one you got to get drunk beforehand. So that way <laughs> this is the, the pregame. The pregame. Yeah. All right. So that being said, we love you all. And to change it up a little bit, if you're going to commit a crime, do us a favor and be sloppy and leave lots of evidence. And we will oh, catch I you next it. time. Bye, everybody. Bye, Thank everyone. you. Oh, I get it. I get it. Bye. Crime Scene Queens is a Q-Code Media production. Executive producers, David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate Dufort. Theme song and music by Darren Johnson. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.